Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Talk with myself, Sam Kluska, and Harry Moy. This week, we're going to be talking about remote work and its impacts on equality. Harry, this was your idea. So I know you've got an article out on our website, futurofidelis.co.uk. So let's kick it off. Yeah, thanks, Sam. So the post that I wrote on our website was about this almost paradoxical idea of how remote work will both increase equality, but also increase inequality. So in the scenario where I see it increasing equality is where we've got, say, for example, office workers who typically haven't really been able to work from home and they've always had to go into the office and do a nine to five. Whereas now after the pandemic and this kind of switch to remote working, we can see that there's probably going to be a lot more flexibility in place. So I think typically you find that when people become parents, you find that women will typically kind of suffer a bit in the workplace because mm. then they're having to, they're not being able to be as flexible around their, their children when they're in school. If they're, you know, if, if a child is sick, normally the mother's a person that's called and they might have to, to have the day off work as a result. But now they'd be able to just work from home. Right. Because I was interested, I thought equality and inequality was kind of like, interesting words to use for it because I was thinking well what does that really mean but are you are you saying that the traditional way of like a a woman would look after a child and um, the whole maternity leave issue as well that kind of falls away so therefore the sort of the natural equality that women will then be in work more is that is that kind of what you mean in terms of that that word choice sort of yeah I think when it comes to maternity leave I don't think maternity leave is is going to go anywhere Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that normally when at least for me personally when I was a when I was a young child if there are issues in school then it would be my mother that was called it wouldn't be my dad yeah. So that's where I, I sort of see the, the equality thing playing out, because I think that's typical, where it is the, the mother that gets called. And again, with things like the school run and and things like that, granted, when I went to school, it was, you know, I mean, how long, how long would it have been now? Now, about 16 years ago. So that may very well have shifted now. But I do still think there is the impression that it's the mother that will pick up the kid from school or drop the kid off from school and also go into school and, and pick the child up if there are problems, if they're feeling ill. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, I mean, it is. We should sort of probably say that you know we know that that's quite a sweeping statement, and it might not necessarily be true for everyone. But I think it's kind of hard to shake those sort of traditional ways of living. I guess, like, I think you're right in what you're saying, and I think it does kind of stem from maternity, though, right? Like, it's the it's the woman that kind of has more time off, more time with their child, probably forms like a a greater bond or sense of responsibility with that child than maybe the man does, and that's kind of why maybe when they go to school and grow up that the, the mother is the sort of first point of contact in most situations. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of seen that women typically are, are kind of held back in the workplace upon becoming parents. I think normally when, when people become new parents, it is normally seen that it is the woman that is kind of held back in her career rather than the, rather than the father. And that's what, and, and I think it's that part of, I think part of it is is maternity, but maternity is necessary as well because it's such a long period of time off work. But then there are these other things of like nursery, preschool and all of those kinds of commitments where I think now with remote working, it allows for greater flexibility around those commitments. And and that's where I can see that it pushes, it just makes things a lot more, a, a, it will make things more equal for um for working parents yeah yeah it's funny isn't it because i mean like a lot of corporations at the moment sort of gender equality 
with their salaries and, and everything really being heard, et cetera. They're, they're like corporate driven items at the moment, aren't they? Like I, I was saying, I was saying to my girlfriend that I thought if, if you are somebody that is encoding and you, and you are a woman, I feel like actually it's kind of beneficial for, for women right now. I think you would have an easier time getting a job if you were a woman who could code simply because co- companies are trying to address this, um, this issue. I know that's kind of like a skills gap sort of thing, but it just seems like the, the, the power shift is, is, is changing and it is trying to change, but it seems like it requires like corporate consciousness to do so. But this sounds like the, the future of remote working kind of more sounds like a passive way to improve equality in the workplace. Yes. Yeah. Rather than being proactive and driven by the organization themselves and saying, this is a particular initiative that we've got. Mm-hmm. It's just a more of a, a cultural thing uh, as opposed to yeah, any kind of targets uh, that we see yeah which is the way it should go right like i mean i don't really i haven't bought into any of that sort of corporate driven stuff i know they're trying their best but it isn't the it isn't the answer in my head yeah and i think i think it, it could almost build a level of apathy as well from people if they do believe that somebody is you know succeeding simply because of gender or, or or their ethnicity yeah there is a risk of that obviously i think that's kind of what i alluded to with um you know, programming as a woman, I think right now, but hopefully that stuff kind of goes away and it is all about sort of equal playing fields. Yeah. It doesn't need to be something that's a, a particular initiative from, from companies, mm. but yeah, but where I see that it also increases inequality is because there is an economy that is built around people going into the office. So this is like your, just the general kind of hospitality, coffee shops, even things like shoe shiners, to an extent, even like buskers. Shoe shiners. <laughs> yeah, shoe shiners. I think in certain parts of the, of the at least in, um, if you go, like in London, shoe shiners are still quite, quite prominent. Oh, right. Um, I was going to say, what, what year are we in? <laughs> and places like, and uh, in New York, places like that as well. So there, it's, it's kind of like, if you've got a coffee shop, I can't imagine that the, the coffee shop would be taking as much as much money and have as much trade if there are fewer people going into the office because the the, the large sizable orders where it's kind of like the intern that's order of like six or seven people there probably won't be six or seven people but then also the people that are popping in before work or after work or sometimes in my case when I worked um, in, in the city centre during work that there won't be as many people doing that either. So owners of these coffee shops or the managers of these coffee shops are going to be saying, you know, rather than having two members of staff or three members of staff, we only need, we, we need one fewer. Uh, and that's the loss of a job, really. Yes, it seems like everything labelled on the go is kind of at risk, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in July time in the UK, in July 2020, when the government started to reopen things, they really encouraged people to actually go back into the office. And people were saying, you know, they only care about PrEP. That's the, that's the thing. It's, you know, they're only doing this to save PrEP. But there is a reasonable argument to say that, well, yes, they are doing it to help PrEP, PrEP being you know, Pret-a-Manger, a, a coffee chain. It's also helping the workers of PrEP because they're still able to have jobs. Yeah. And yeah, it just, it feels to me like one where the hospitality sector is divided, in my opinion, between, like you say, the on the go uh, versus the sort of staying in, like more sort of your kind of like your restaurants. And I can just see that, yeah, the the on the go places are are really going to struggle. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's it's interesting because I was thinking, well, how deep does that go then? Because the whole notion of like on the go, there's other things that help people 
be on the go. So like I was thinking like London Underground. I was thinking like places where there is on the go coffee shops, like within the undergrounds. And then I was thinking, well, what actually is, what is the infrastructure, the whole ecosystem of sort of like on the go and how will that be affected? Is there going to be a case of like, I don't know, the, the circle line is no longer Ramo at 8.30 in the morning on, in London and therefore, you know, these on the go shops will be sort of less. It, it just seems like it, it goes much deeper than just like the hospitality part of it. Yeah, and I think to the, to your point about the London Underground, I mean, the London Underground, t- Transport for London had to receive a sizable bailout from the government because, well, last year they had to receive about 700 million, I think it was, from the government because they were really, really struggling just because fewer people were, were using the Underground. It's insane, isn't it? Like, I don't... I just would have thought, like, it's a money-printing machine. Like, people are using it daily, every time of the day. You would have thought then the business model would, they would have loads of sort of cash flow in reserve for this sort of event. But it sounds like they were just sort of like running on the fuel that they were being given at the same time in terms of like the cash flow in and out. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much money TFL does make and and what their kind of costs are. Because I think one of the things I have to factor with the underground is just how frequently these things are, are running. You know, you, you wait and you miss the, the Victoria line to Walthamstow, and then five minutes later, there's another one. So these things have got multiple, multiple carriages, multiple trains that are running, each with somebody driving them. So I think there's quite a lot of drivers in particular working it at any given time. And I don't think the drivers are cheap. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, it's not It's not even the only thing, is it really? Like, airlines immediately started to like dry up as soon as sort of like the pandemic hit. And maybe this is the death of uh, business class. Maybe it's no longer needed. <laughs> well, and, and that has really serious consequences for aviation because... The economy flight, so so air travel has gotten a lot cheaper recently mm-hmm. in, in the past few years. And part of that is because business class and, the, and, and first class actually got more expensive as they begin to offer more, you know, a more luxurious experience. That is basically the business class subsidizing the economy class. So if that isn't happening anymore, that means that airlines and the economy class tickets may end up becoming more expensive. Mm. And with with things like video conferencing, it, it, it does make you think that maybe there will be fewer people going on going on business class flights. But then as well, things like things like conferences and events. A lot of a lot of companies have well, a lot of event organizers have switched to digital only events. And some of them are, have been quite successful, it seems. So I wonder whether that will also be something that faces a hit as a result of, of remote working. Yes, I think it's something I've seen. I've, I've joined a couple of the AWS days. I think reInvent, that was that was hosted as like webinars. Um, what's the one that's in London? I keep forgetting the name of that one. Summit. Summit, yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, that one was also online last year. Kind of without a hit, without a hitch, really. Like you just hop into like whatever webinar you wanted. I think obviously the people that lose out there are mainly the, um, you know, the other stalls, the other vendors that, that kind of get their chance to have a have a say there and attract some new business. There's that that was a real like there was a lack of that. Yeah, which means not as much swag. Yeah, well, it doesn't. Yeah, and it doesn't translate as well into online because like people hate online adverts. Whereas when you're when you're in person at a conference, it doesn't feel like an advert, but it is basically somebody advertising a product to you, right? But you've you've walked yeah. up to them for a conversation, so it doesn't feel like you're being thrown an ad in your face which is probably the the experience you'd get online and i think normally as well when it comes to something like aws it's normally a case of the people at the stall are 
potentially able to help you solve a business problem as well. Yeah. So although they're selling their services, they're, they're kind of tailoring their approach to your problem. So you might be saying, you know, my, my business is we're, we're facing difficulties with network security in the cloud. And you might be, I don't know, so talk to someone like Paolo Alto and they might be asking you questions and then saying, okay, we think this product will work well for you at the stall. And, and that's not something that an online advert would be able to do. An online advert, to some extent, people like it, they do listen to you, but they can't listen to you and then tailor your approach based upon the problem that you've got. Yeah, yeah. It's quite an interesting topic, right? Because I feel like what you just touched upon there does sort of flow into general remote working ways in that, yes, you can have a, a conversation with somebody now through Zoom and stuff, but it's just it's just not the same. It's not as friendly, I don't think, from like my experience as a, as a remote worker in a sort of remote working fully job. I just no. I don't think it translates very well. And I think, I mean, we've both, we both shared experience of the fact that we started new jobs during lockdown. So we both started work when we couldn't go into the office. Now, I've been fortunate enough that I've since been able to go into the office. Yeah. And I found that even though I think there was about, I think it was about three months between when I started and then when I went into the office. And even though it was the, the same people that I'd spoken to day in, day out remotely, I felt that the connection was stronger in when I was in the office. And I feel like the bonds that I've built with my colleagues have strengthened because of those times, even though it was only one day a week, just from having that day a week in the office together. So uh, let me ask you about that then. So how long had you been speaking to them before you then went into the office to meet them physically? So I would say it was pretty much daily for about three or four months with some members of the team. And you hadn't seen them in person? I hadn't seen them in person. I'd only based it off of their Microsoft 365 profile pictures. <laughs> so that meant that for some of them, I was like, who is this person? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's, like, there's, there's one guy, I mean, I've, I haven't even met him in person at, um, at work, but he's got like Clint Eastwood as his Microsoft 365 photo. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, what does this mean that when I go into, go into the office and I want to speak to this guy, I've got to look for Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you do like build up an impression of what they, they should look like from like just hearing them and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, there is loads of people at my work as well that use avatars. Um, and then I kind of almost build that avatar next to sort of their, their personality through what they talk about in like text or on the phone. But no, I was just really interested because I was thinking like, you know, when you when you met them then physically in person, did it still feel like a little bit like a bit of friction there, a bit of social friction of like you, like I've met physically in person for the first time. It's not, it's not quite as fluid as you both just talking on the phone. Like, oh, you're right, mate. How are you doing? It is that like extra layer, I guess. Kind of. I'd say that because in, in office environments, normally I consider myself to be quite a social butterfly. Mm-hmm. Like I spend half my time in the office just talking to people. And I wouldn't admit that publicly. and well I actually said this to my manager I said you know what when I come into the office I actually feel not I don't feel particularly productive because I'm just talking to people and he was like no that's fine I'd say that's part of your job talking to people so I've I've managed to get away with it (laughs) but yeah but it, it felt difficult to kind of approach and sort of talk to people especially because it, it kind of felt like I was the new guy again okay at the very beginning you feel like the new guy remotely eventually begin to get to know people but then even in person, even like three or four months later, I, I ended up feeling like the new guy again. Fortunately, stuff was able to be um, like quite quickly, you're able to kind of build those bonds. But, but I do remember like, like going into the office and 
seeing one guy and I was like, is that Chris? And trying to figure out, is that him? And then eventually he was like, oh, you're right, Harry. And I was like, oh, that is Chris. Just based upon the, the based on his photo, I still couldn't quite make out whether that was him or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Because, I mean, like, as you said, like we, we both haven't, we both joined new jobs um, in, in during the pandemic. And I think I've been to the office once, but I, I imagine then sort of the, it's, as I said, like, it's, it's different layers. So also maybe the, 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 the additional layer of being in a physically alien place kind of makes you feel like that new guy again. And it wasn't just the fact that like you having to interact with people that you already knew, but you hadn't met them physically. It's like your environment and everything else that is associated with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't know really how to navigate and I wasn't because I, I joined during the lockdown. It meant that when I actually went to, when I actually went into the office, the, the induction was done in kind of the context of COVID-19. Okay. So it was more of like a, okay, everyone, you had sort of cohorts of people of whom weren't all new to the company. They were just, it was their first day in the office. So they were being shown like the new procedures. So they're being told, you know, these are the rules for using the lifts. These are the rules for sort of a one-way system, all of that sort of stuff. So it, it meant that I only kind of got a bit of a a bit of an induction to how the the building itself operated, which which meant that when I was in the office, I had to go into the office like a few weeks back, and like I got lost. <laughs> I went through like I went through a side door, thinking that it saved me time, and I ended up just getting lost. <laughs> mm. It makes me it makes me wonder it does because um, I'm I'm just sort of thinking like what is the future for many of us that have not been to our offices yet. And how how will it make us feel? Like, I imagine it would make us feel quite uncomfortable, uh, unlike a majority anyway, unless you are some real extrovert who's just been dying to get to the office. I think uh, I think it's going to be sort of like a giant wave of people that would just go, actually, I kind of really like this sort of remote working. It's kind of been forced upon them. Like they might not have um, they might not have decided to have done it in a in a normal situation, but the pandemic forcing them to work from home and then them changing their minds as like a try before you buy type of scheme. Mm. I think, um, I think it is interesting. I certainly have a little bit of like office anxiety for sure. And does that, does that come from the, the people or does that come from the environment itself? I can't imagine it's because of COVID itself. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too bothered about the the whole sort of virus thing really just, yeah, just the environment to be honest. And like, stupid stupid things like your how your day is going to unfold so obviously like I know I know now that I can sort of wake up at any time as long as it's before my start time and and be happy with that but you know the the commute um oh I I was talking to my girlfriend again today about um she we were talking about we sometimes have breakfast out of routine and she mentioned that she she only had breakfast out of routine when she knew she was going to the office because she thought well I might not get a chance to eat again from like nine till half 12 because she might be too busy because she's in the office but there's this option when you're working at home where it's like well I don't really I'm not hungry so I'm not going to eat right now and I know that I'm working on my own time give or take the meetings that you're involved in so I can go and grab a snack without anyone sort of yanking me aside into a meeting in the office so it's like just like little like nuances like that where I kind of I, I have more control in my day when I'm remote working about how thing when I'm going to do things and the timings given given it's around meetings that I'm scheduled in but just stupid stuff like that really this is going to sound like a really 
me thing to say but I had actually almost like rehearsed days when I'd wake up late <laughs> okay to see like to see like how long it would take me to have my breakfast <laughs> how long it would take me to have a shower how long it take me to do all that kind of stuff so that way and I, it takes me if if I'm in a rush, it takes me about twenty minutes to get out. I've just I've just had this imagery of like a Twitch uh, speedrunner where he's, he, they have like um, like they tab out when they've got to a certain stage. So you go, oh my god, I've just done a shower in three minutes. Okay, we're two seconds ahead of our previous record. <laughs> yeah, that's very you. But I mean, I'm quite fortunate as well. Where um, where where I previously worked, all, all the places I worked at, I've had the opportunity to get food. Um, in the office. I mean, I used to, when I worked, when I worked for a financial services company, I would spend maybe about 40 minutes in the morning having breakfast. Uh, and it's saved me quite a bit of money actually not working there anymore because uh, I'd be spending about three, three pound every day, which does add up. Yeah. But, but I'd get quite, it's quite a good breakfast actually for three pound. I'd got, um, I'd get three sausages, two hash browns and baked beans. So subsidize them. But so what yeah. was that? Was that for the social element as well? Or did you eat alone? Oh, I'd, I'd have, um, it'd be a, f- a friend of mine and I would go, we'd go, we'd get into the office at about seven o'clock in the morning. We'd, I'd make a point of like making sure that I sent an email really early in the morning. So that way people could see that I was working like since seven <laughs> and then, and then I'd go and have breakfast and DOS for like 40 minutes. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the other side, isn't it? Look, another, there's going to be the opposed sides between pros and cons of remote working and being in the office but I mean the one big plus of being in the office is the social aspect and I know that I know that's one that you personally feel quite strongly about and um I you know I I I I would say I I feel that way as well but I have been one of these people that has been swayed by remote working there is a lot of stuff that I enjoy in my own house but I guess sometimes it's like you're reducing your surface area for like night like good interactions that could lead to further things down the line i guess yeah i think like i'm not i I would say that i'm not completely against remote working i think though that when when you need human interaction it's it's good like i'd rather be in the office for uh, i would probably spend most of my time in the office um well when i was working for that financial services company the rule was the rule was actually supposed to be you're only in the office three days a week. And I mean, this was back in like, this was 2016 through to 2019. And the rule was that you had to be in the, you had to be in the office, um, yeah, three days a week and then two days working from home. But I was in the office nearly every day. The only time that I'd work from home would be if I had a, a like a problem that I needed to solve. So because I was doing a development job, if it was one where it was kind of like, only me that could that could do this piece of work I'd and I needed to focus for like a really long amount of time amazingly I did that at home the focusing work rather than doing it in the office you know I was able to turn off like instant messaging and I could close Outlook and I was not contactable whereas if I did that in the office somebody could just walk up to my desk I see where you come from with that I, I I kind of have this impression that people would kind of disagree with that um I know a lot of people probably including myself, are easily distracted at home by um, like a- anything and everything that is in your home trying to grab your attention. Me specifically, like my phone and, and my screen time has gone up from remote working. And it's like such a, such a self-aware thing to know that you're doom scrolling 
whilst doom scrolling, but you continue to doom scroll. But I mean, the way you solve that problem is just put your phone in the other room. Yeah, I know. I should have like a lockbox or something, really, shouldn't I? You need you need a lockbox. Like literally, you, even if the, even if your phone was in the other room, you'd you'd go up, go into that room to get your phone, and then doom scroll. Atomic habits, mate. I need to I need to get it out of my environment. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, certainly uh, it's the surface area part. And I, I found that the interactions that you can have in the office are so much more organic. And I've been really, I don't know how it is with your with your team. I've been really struggling to feel like a team, like a gelled, bonded team. And interestingly, um, I was uh, on the uh, CZ's uh, Clubhouse chat and he was talking about how he, he thinks that a bond for a team is formed through some sort of adversity. So he's found that like, the teams with the stronger bonds are those that have been through issues together and sort of solved them together. And I guess maybe that might be the reason why we don't really feel like we've gelled. But I also feel like because because we don't know each other on like a physical, like we've not met each other physically, we haven't really formed that, you know, that extra bond that you were talking about when you went in the office. I feel like we don't really work as hard for each other as we probably would do before. If we met in, in the office, like we would know people on a deeper level. I feel like that that's kind of one of the bad points with remote working is you're you're not really in that environment where you're working in a team. It's quite a selfish environment of, well, I mean, I don't even really know who you are, so I'm just going to crack on with my work and like, I don't really care. I feel like that's that's happened a lot. And I don't think that the, as as much as... Microsoft and Zoom and whomever try to make their collaboration tools as 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 good as possible um, with with the pandemic. I mean, you know, Microsoft. I, I can imagine their focus on features in Teams has increased tenfold since the start of the pandemic. I can't imagine that they that they're anywhere near as good as as being in person. So, in Teams, you've got the ability to use a thing called Microsoft Whiteboard, which is like a is is like a, a whiteboard but in a teams meeting and anyone can can contribute the only problem is is that the mouse is not a good input tool for that so it just becomes really clunky and i think in in our lines of work normally like the whiteboard comes out to try and solve problems as a team so i've literally had to like invest in a whiteboard and then i go on camera and then i'll be there like writing on my whiteboard and trying to get people's feedback and stuff on what I'm doing, just because the actual collaboration tools themselves aren't good. But having to be directed on writing on that whiteboard is friction. Yeah. And it's just, there's there's still so much friction in collaboration, and I can't see it ever dropping. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think, you know, it is that friction that disrupts the flow and and that is existent in a, not a, not just the whiteboard scenario i think like you know with people talking over each other that happens so much more now in in remote calls than what it ever did in person i think and i think that's because like stuff that reduces that friction is like body language you know if somebody wants to speak you can kind of see it it's like a real subliminal sense of oh i know this person wants to speak right now but you don't have any of that during a virtual call and real life has no latency. Mm. You know, even even if you've got a ping of like 10 milliseconds, like that's still 10 milliseconds longer than real life. And and I think that's one of the things that contributes to people sort of both going on a mute, talking, and then being like, no, you go first. And they're like, no, no, you. And then there's a pause for like four seconds. And then they both speak at the same time again. Yeah. That happens often. 
and I and I imagine that's part of that is just because of the fact that computers just aren't as fast as real life. Yeah, for that sort of stuff for communication. Yeah, I'm sure this is like a lot of people have been going through this. I, I can't imagine we're the only ones. But I, the, I was I was also thinking like you've been speaking about remote workers, but there are people out there where their, their lives haven't really changed because of the pandemic and remote work isn't really a thing for them and will never be a thing for them. So yeah. sort of going back to your like on the go thesis, do you see maybe the on the go stores changing in, in, in any way because of the sort of lack of people? And and there's, I'm trying to think like laborers would have to go to work still, I guess, bus drivers, <laughs> anyone, any drivers. Yeah. But, but then it's, it's more the fact that things like buses where I live, they operate every 15 minutes that might increase to every 30 minutes so that there's you know there's there's one fewer bus yeah i think you look at it was pret that tried to implement this kind of subscription model for coffee and i couldn't quite get my head around it but it looked like they could sort of deliver coffee to you what i can kind of see is the rise of like gig economy and having more deliveroo and uber eats and just eat and having more of those workers going into um, doing things like deliveries and and perhaps Starbucks will offer their own one where that you can order a Starbucks and somebody delivers it to you. But you have to factor in the cost of that, which is that the coffee itself is like three pounds, uh, you know, th- between three and four pounds. I mean, I, I mean, the coffee that I drink, I typically get like a filter coffee or an Americano. So I'm spending really no more than like two pound 50. I mean, the cost of the labor to actually get that coffee to me is probably worth over like probably double the uh the actual cost of the of the commodity itself yeah like the energy usage as well yeah so it's like what's the what's the point yeah but i think like you've you've kind of explained the way i mean i was explaining it in a terrible way but really i was trying to i was trying to look at the impact of what remote workers have on non-remote workers and obviously this is an example whereby people that have to go to the be to work in the coffee shop are going to be impacted bus drivers they would have less less uh, routes to do in less time stuff like that that i'm thinking about like there must be a bajillion examples maybe even like high-rise builders architects people like that they they wouldn't even need to maybe build as many high-rises anymore because everyone's staying at home like yep. that's that's kind of what i was thinking like the impact does go much further beyond on the go shops much further beyond your remote workers like ourselves it does impact pretty much everyone in some sort of collateral way. Well, I think, yeah, one of the things that I'd, I'd be really interested to see is what happens to the number of cars per household. So you, you see that the roads, roads were built for one car per household, whereas now that's that's like double or, or that's at least doubled and in some cases tripled. When I lived in, with my parents, there was three cars for the house. It, it makes me wonder that if remote work really does rise could we see that maybe there's a chance it would go back to the one car per household i don't know and and maybe that won't happen but i could see that there probably would be some people that go you know what we don't need to pay for insurance and road tax and petrol for another car because only one of us really needs to use it at any one given time yeah because we can work our, our schedule around it i work from home three days a week when you, and you go into the office and then I use the car uh, and when I'm using the car, you're working from home sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's feasible to to think that, to be fair, because I think, um, you know, unless unless you are independent from your partner, usually like if you're on the weekend, you're going to be doing stuff with your partner. So you would usually share the same car. I can't imagine yeah. a, an experience where you would 
each go in separate cars unless you were doing separate things. But, um, you know, the, the main thing about a car is convenience of travel, right? Like, I think especially in, especially in the UK, I doubt, I doubt we would see that anytime soon simply because the public transport really isn't up to scratch as opposed to maybe other countries. But I mean, it, it kind of opens that market. You know, we, we have spoke about it before with like the self-driving car talks that we've had and sort of like the rent a car thing. Like you don't, you no longer need the car for seven days a week if you're remote working. You would only need it for the weekend um, yep. or maybe the three-day weekend because uh, we're going to have that four-day working week in, in, in 10 or 20 years' time. But yeah, I <laughs> but yeah, I just think uh, there, there is more of a market there then. So that I mean, that's another impact that remote work could have. As you said, is like you don't really need the car anymore, but then that opens the market for like rent-a-car. Yeah, well, I suppose in the interim, Uber. Yeah. You're just Uber for for the days in which you need to get into the office perhaps yeah it, re- it really depends on service isn't it because it, you want the speed it needs to be in abundance ready to go within maybe under five minutes because that's the thing isn't it it's convenience of going to your drive getting in your car and going somewhere immediately otherwise everyone yeah. everyone would get buses because i mean the thing that we hate about buses is we have to wait for them or they're not on time or you have to wait on a delay and then two come at once hence the phrase Stuff like that, I think, that it really makes people buy cars. But if, well, I mean, you said it, it's latency, isn't it? If we can remove the latency, then I think, yeah, maybe there is more of a market for just one car per household. Yeah. So then there's the the matter of wealth that's trickling out of places that it's been quite centralised in the past. Like, particularly in the UK, London is the place where most of the GDP is produced. Yep. And there is a view of significant inequality. You then look at America, where you've got like New York City and um, and you've got like uh, like Los Angeles and San Francisco, yeah. Where again, people are leaving, and that can be really really impactful because especially when you look at a state like California, California, if it was a sovereign state, would actually be like the fifth biggest economy in the world. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? The, the sort of pulling power that it it could potentially have just by the companies that are geolocated in that position. So then. But then we're seeing that with what's going on in in California, we're finding these places that are quite similar to California. Because, you know, you go to California, I mean, you've got the employers there. But I think one of the big pools as well is the weather, is the fact that it's like really, really hot. You've got all these beaches and stuff. But that element isn't exclusive to California. So if you can get the tech companies to, to, to move, or even if the tech companies allow for remote working, Facebook, Twitter... They're all allowing for remote workers now. So, you know, you're seeing like place like Miami, for example, where they've got this, what I kind of see as this unfair advantage. So they benefit more than, than a lot of other places because they've got the heat, they've got the beaches, which attracts people. So you look at what Mayor Suarez is doing there and he's able to kind of pull these workers in and say, right, how can, what, what can we do to make it so that remote workers want to work in Miami? And that can have really a really big impact for the economy because that means that there's more people that will be spending in, in Miami. And therefore, you might see that the hospitality sector in Miami increases because even though you've got, say, you've got people that who during the day are remotely working, but in the evenings, they might be going out and having food. So it can have a really powerful trickle effect for the the economy of the city. And that's something that, that you know, he spotted, that, that the mayor there spotted. And then I think we see other places beyond, 
beyond simply Miami, where I think there's there's other states that I've seen in America that where they actually provide tax incentives for people that remotely work there. I think it's Vermont. But then we also see like Estonia have got this idea of digital passports. And if you're going over, you can like remotely work in Estonia and you get access. Or I think it's I think it's you can if you want to set up a business, you can set up your business remotely in Estonia. So that way you've got participation in the European single market. Okay. So, not not like a loophole though, right? But yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you look at, um, that's the thing that's actually kind of common in, uh, in America. So a lot of companies would incorporate in the state of Delaware because of the tax benefits of incorporating the state of Delaware, yet they won't have offices in Delaware. So Estonia is just sort of doing something similar, except America is America. So if you're a citizen of California, you're still a citizen of the United States. So you can incorporate your company in Delaware because that's also the United States. Whereas Estonia is having to go beyond that international boundary and say, even if you're a Brit Mm. and your citizenship is with the United Kingdom, who are no longer citizens of the European Union, you can set up your business in Estonia and have participation in the single market. Right, right, yeah, because uh, it is it's important, isn't it? To I think to reiterate the the trickle effect, because ultimately it is the the more the more people you have there with sort of I guess wages with sort of disposable income, the more likely that there is to sort of drive the economy in that specific area. Which it, it goes on and on, really, doesn't it? Because if if you have those people spending that money, there's more likely to be more um, business owners and stuff setting up sort of hospitality businesses within that area which then in turn sort of drives the housing market as well. Yeah. Um, but that but kind of touching on the housing market, I feel like that's that's kind of interesting. So if if remote working did fully become a staple of our, our culture and you're talking about sort of people moving away from London or New York, would we eventually see a point in time where maybe they don't have as much sway and, and therefore their housing prices start to decrease a little bit after this sort of hyperinflation. Yeah, probably, especially rental prices. With property prices, interestingly, uh, around the pandemic, when, um, so the, the way that the government responded was they removed stamp duty. So stamp duty is a tax that's applied to the sale of land in the UK. So if you buy a house, you have to pay stamp duty. If it's over a certain price, you have to pay about, I think it's I think it's like two and a half thousand pounds. Yeah, and they've yeah. extended that. So they? people were selling their houses during the pandemic because they wanted to because they wanted to avoid stamp duty. Interestingly, the houses that had a home office sort of space found that the price their prices went up because people wanted that okay. kind of environment in in the house. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's also not just impacting the the prices of the areas, but it's also impacting the price of the, the physical property itself or like the features yeah. of the property the properties yeah. of the property yeah. and i think <laughs> going just a bit a bit beyond remote working but more in the, in the i suppose more to the pandemic things like gardens and stuff so outdoor spaces are are also causing property prices to go up so remote working which has been a massive thing as part of the pandemic and then out being outdoors in your own space that's also contributing to to an increase in, in property prices yeah, I really feel like I should sort of do some spider's web of starting at remote working, all the areas it's impacted, and then the cascading effects of those impacted areas, then what does that affect? 
because it seems like it is a lot of a lot of different entities and moving parts that are sort of changing because of the way that we change yeah. work. Yeah, and it, it makes me wonder like how will the working patterns change of the businesses that serve the um, serve the remote work? Will it serve the office economy? So will they find that their hours of being open change? because remote work's got more flexibility. So you see like some shops may close sometimes in the afternoons, but they might find themselves opening in the afternoons because they might have reduced lunch times. So rather than closing at say between yeah. one and two, they might actually remain open and close a bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a ton of things, isn't there? I mean, I was thinking if you're somebody that isn't really too precious about living in any, any one country, then as long as you're within a similar time zone, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could just freely move, live in another country and still have the same job. Yeah. And and, and one, one of the things that Facebook made a point of saying was that in California, you get paid a lot of money, but the amount of money that you get paid is for the cost of living. So if you're earning $200,000 in California, in San Francisco, that won't actually get you very far. But, but Facebook have made a point of saying, don't think that you can move to somewhere like Wyoming and still be paid $200,000. That's interesting. So they're, they're changing the, yeah. the, the prices, well, they're changing the salaries. I don't know how it's going to work if they actually do like a cost of living calculator for the place that you say that you're going to be, because some people might be nomadic and might decide that actually they're going to work in lots of different places. But that's what I was just trying to work out in my head. Like they would, they would almost have to have some sort of grading rubric of you live in X place, therefore your calculator changes in this, in, in a different way. It just... How how do you really keep on top? Yeah, of that? and and then there's there's tax implications. So do you get taxed in? Do you pay income tax? If if I'm based in, let's say I move to Thailand and I'm working in Thailand, am I getting it? Do I have to pay my income tax in Thailand? And then there's exchange rates and things like that because I'm not. If I get paid in pounds or I get paid in dollars, then you know that's not going to work in in Thailand. So I'm going to have to have uh, I'm going to have to exchange the money. So I think for employers, it can begin to get a bit confusing, and it'd be interesting to see whether it is whether it's worth them putting in the effort from an HR perspective to facilitate people remote working because of yeah. just the cost of understanding all of the different implications of people remotely working. If they if they wanted to remote work in a different country, how that works. Although yeah, at where I currently work. There's a guy that there was a contractor that actually lived in Hungary. He was an Englishman okay. that moved to Hungary because his um his his wife was Hungarian and he still got paid like a, a normal sort of IT contractor rate. So I think he was living like a king in Hungary. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's it is interesting. I just I it does sound like an extra bit of responsibility for the employer. I mean it maybe it should be offset by some sort of government body but it it sounds like you'd have to get some sort of like lawyers involved to to make sure that you know that your employees are getting the correct <laughs> treatment yeah i've just i just been thinking cuz i was thinking um maybe maybe the idea of like taking a holiday would yeah. would change especially if you're in the uk right so i was thinking um you could continue to work but you could go and live in well not live like go and stay in a nice countryside um house in I don't know the Peak District or the Lake District, and you could make an effort to say, right, guys, I'm going to do eleven sevens this week. You wouldn't even need to tell them that because you're in the Lake District, and then you would like spend your mornings go and do a walk, do a hike up one of the one of the hills, and then like you're still getting your relaxation, which is different from your normal daily life. But you like don't have to sacrifice yeah. the annual leave. 
just like just like weird little things like that. Like I think if if they did introduce it, I think people would start getting really creative with the yeah, way I mean, they work. I I had a a thought like that when it, so in twenty seventeen I went to Finland and on the way back I had to stop over had a layover in Copenhagen and the flight was delayed for like I think I think the layover was already a bit long but then the flight was delayed. So I ended up being on a day that I'd taken annual leave. I realised that I'd been in the airport lounge because you know me and I love airport lounges. I've been <laughs> yeah. in the airport. I've been like the in the in the lounge for about nine ten hours. I thought to myself, hold on a minute. I could have just worked and not taken the annual leave. So if, yeah. even even beyond just local travel, there's a chance of international travel as well and being able to just work work from the airport yeah yeah you're right i mean I, I, there is countless times i've had to book a day's annual leave just to travel back from somewhere that i, I sh- you know from away from home yeah. back to home where in, instead maybe i could have just find a coffee shop somewhere and have my daily my, my actual work day still do work and then at the end of the work day then travel home and therefore i've saved yeah. a day and i think there's there's this idea of core hours where a lot of companies that have sort of this idea of flexible working tend to have this idea of core hours which is you can work flexibly but you need to be working between the hours of 10 and 3 you need to be working but then after that and before that you can work whenever so you could do say seven until four or you could do ten until six seven but you've got to be working between ten and three and i'd be interested to know if that changes as well yeah probably probably not i would say no i can't imagine that 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 would change at all because you know traditions are hard to break and you know if we can move to remote working i still don't think it will be remote working with a completely different way of working as like a foundational thing i think it would just be remote working which is in its in its own entity being used to change the way people work in that way but not in the way that fundamentals of work happen in terms of times and as as, as well when you might need to be con- contacted and people need to rely on the fact that they can contact you between these hours like i may not know what hours sam's working today but i know he'll be available between 10 and 3 because he has to be cuz i mean like the fluidity is is a nice thought, but really it's it's not practical when people are trying to get shit done. Yeah. Basically, so I think I think you're right in what you're saying. Yeah, you're, you'd you'd have to have those core working hours, and they would probably still have to remain what they have been for what like hundreds of years now. So <laughs> I, I can't I can't imagine it's ever going to change. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, the, see, it, it just goes to show like the amount of things that could could be impacted if we if we continue to have this this growing trend of remote work and. You know, particularly, it will be very, very interesting to see um, if it will continue after the pandemic, or or if companies do do a like a one eighty and maybe say, well, remote working isn't really for us. We we've sort of quantified that our employees aren't working as hard, and and they're getting away with a little bit more slack. So my company's already sort of done that because they've already said that mm. don't expect this to be a a thing that happens when things go back to normal. I think they'll be saying you may still work from home a couple of days a week, but you are still expected to spend most of your time in the office. The view is is that you can't climb the workplace ladder if you're remote working because you're not truly known, you're not visible, or all those sorts of things. I mean, where I when I worked for yeah. financial services companies, nobody was in the office on Friday sometimes. So if IT and change were the only ones that really worked from home. And one time the chief operating officer walked into the into the building, walked across the floor and just went, where the fuck is everyone? And it can look mm. bad. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, you know, we're not we're not too radical in our in our ideas of, of what could happen. 
we are still quite grounded in that. You know, we probably won't see a, a drastic change, but certainly just a trend that will marginally impact yeah. the way that. Yeah, and we then work. at some point the robots will take it. <laughs> well, another another one for another day. Cool. Okay. Well, I guess we'll wrap that up. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, stay tuned.